I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So this case came down in the Third Circuit, and the case is uh, Brian David Range versus the uh, Attorney General of the United States. And this was a Third Circuit Court of Appeals case, which includes in its jurisdiction uh, New Jersey and Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Now, this case involves a very interesting set of facts, and it's something that touched upon things we've talked about in the past. We've talked about in the past how there is genuine institutionalized racism in the gun laws, and that's the racism that, you know, the left ever wants to discuss. But frankly, when you prohibit felons from having firearms, by the very nature of doing that, you're discriminating against blacks at, I think it's uh, at least five to one, if not six to one to whites on a ratio of felons in America. And with Hispanics, it's uh, two to one. So when you prohibit in these categories like this, you're you're disproportionately removing and disenfranchising the right to keep and bear arms from individuals. Now, I know many of you will say, well, look, violent felons and such, they should not have the right to keep and bear arms. I don't care about how it breaks down racially at all or any of that. And I, I mean, I can understand that view. But what about nonviolent felons? I mean felons that have not been convicted of anything dangerous or violent, should they still be precluded from enjoying and exercising their Second Amendment rights? And you know, we have on the books this ability to get this relief from disabilities, the ability to get your rights restored. But that hasn't been funded, as we've discussed in the past, since I think 1992, thanks to Charles Schumer and the Democrats. And by not funding it, individuals cannot get their rights restored. So if you're in this disproportionate ratio of minorities, you can't get your rights restored, even though you're a good person and it was a nonviolent offense, you're still screwed out of your Second Amendment rights. Well, that's pretty good institutionalized racism. Well, we see today that the tradition of institutionalized racism is alive and well. And the case here I'm going to tell you about uh, furthers that proposition in a manner that is kind of unbelievable, but true. So let me tell you about this range case right from the case. First of all, the uh, legal action itself was a challenge. And uh, I know that the Firearm Policy Coalition had quite a role in this, and I give them credit for fighting the fight and trying to right these wrongs. So good for them. Unfortunately, the case at uh, this time, this moment, wasn't successful, but that doesn't mean there isn't more fight to be had. And it's important, even with it not being successful, that it shows what we're dealing with in these courts. Let me tell you about the appellant here in the case, uh, Brian Range. And what the court says in the beginning of the case is that uh, Range falls into a category having pleaded guilty to the felony equivalent charge of welfare fraud. That's right. Uh, he ended up uh, convicted of 
welfare fraud, pled guilty to it, a nonviolent offense. And the court essentially in this case finds that um, the people constitutionally entitled to bear arms are, quote, law-abiding responsible people, and a category that properly excludes those who have demonstrated uh, disregard for the rule of law through the commission of felony and felony equivalent offenses. And additionally, they uh, concluded that even if range fell, falls within the people, the government has met its burden that the prohibition is consistent with historical tradition. And wait till I tell you about the historical tradition that upholds the prohibition on Mr. Range nonviolent felony offense remaining a disqualifier, a disenfranchisement of a constitutional right, which is the equivalent, remember, of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. The court, in its decision, and I'm cutting through a lot, makes it clear where it says that the Second Amendment does not protect unvirtuous citizens, end quote. And through the opinion, they say that um, the Second Amendment extends only to people considered virtuous citizens and therefore hold that the long-standing tradition of disarming citizens who are not law-abiding is, uh, is acceptable, and in this case, fine and dandy. So what is the analysis that took place here? It's based on the Bruin decision. And in the Bruin decision, you have to find that the firearm regulation that you're challenging is consistent with the nation's historical tradition so that a court may conclude that the individual's conduct falls outside the Second Amendment's unqualified command. So they have to look at the historical tradition, what Bruin Court, and we discussed this, text, history, and tradition. So here in the Third Circuit, that's what the judges did. So here's some of the precedent and historical tradition that the court felt was uh, relevant in upholding these type of statutes. Now I'll read you from, uh, it's actually page 27 on Colonial America. The court states, remember, this is showing history and tradition of why modern gun laws that are equivalent or similar should be upheld because of past gun laws that upheld similar things, okay? And they have to show that this is within the scope of what was done. And therefore, the court says... The earliest firearm legislation in colonial America prohibited Native Americans, black people, and indentured servants from owning firearms. This is a historical precedent that the court is utilizing, folks. Blatant racism of racist early gun laws is the wonderful historical basis that we can now continue this fine American tradition in prohibiting Mr. Range from having firearms. I mean, think about it. He was convicted of 
welfare fraud, okay? Nonviolent welfare fraud. Now, I think you know that the percentages of folks who are even, even getting welfare are uh, of minorities are two or three times that of whites, right? I mean, that's a fact of who receives it, Hispanics and blacks, etc. And, you know, who's committing the welfare fraud? Uh, those getting welfare that they think are being fraudulent, which, of course, gives us right back to that old ratio. I mean, we're dealing with welfare fraud. It reminds me of the of the famous quote from Antoli France, where he said, the law in its majestic equality forbids rich and poor alike to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets, and to steal their bread. See how fair the law is? Both rich and poor are, prosecu- are, are, are prohibited equally under these statutes. Just like welfare fraud will absolutely be prosecuted on rich white people that engage in it, just as well as any minorities or anyone else. So isn't that a comfort? And since in colonial America, the court uh, believes that a historical tradition and precedent is something that needs to be mentioned in the case here uh, that Native Americans, blacks, and indentured servants, which would be primarily... uh, what, Irish, Irish Catholics specifically. And don't worry, they go after Catholics in this opinion too. Now, of course, the court does, does footnote it. They footnote and they said, the status-based regulations of this period are repugnant, parentheses, not to mention unconstitutional. And we categorically reject the notion that distinctions based on race, class, and religion correlate with disrespect for the law or dangerousness. Well, how nice except they still cite it. They still put it forward as a history. They still put it forward as a tradition. They still put it forward as a justification for stopping this man from getting his gun rights back. So as repugnant as I agree that it is, it apparently isn't repugnant enough to not utilize it and jamming a a person from getting his rights back. Think about that. Oh, don't worry. The court says we cite these statutes only to demonstrate that legislatures had the power and discretion to use status as a basis for disarmament and to show that status-themed bans did not historically distinguish between violent and nonviolent members of disarmed groups. Well, isn't that a comfort? In other words, we're happy to use it to continue the tradition of banning individuals. We're happy to take this repugnant racism, blatant racism, and say, hey, you know, it still shows that the government has the power to do this because they did it in the past, however wrong and repugnant it is, and therefore we can do it now, no matter how wrong and repugnant it is. I mean, that is unbelievable, but there it is in the opinion. And they continue by saying that um, even uh, numerous examples in which full-fledged members of the political community as it then existed, free Christian white men, were disarmed due to conduct evincing inadequate faithfulness to the sovereign and its laws. So again, more repugnant. 
And they even mention it again as being repugnant. And here's the example. Quote from the court, Likewise, Catholics in America, in American colonies, as in Britain, were subject to disarmament without demonstrating a proclivity to violence. Again, using that as a basis to say we have a history and a tradition that makes current gun laws like a nonviolent felon on a welfare fraud conviction be have a lifetime ban of the Second Amendment? Well, I mean, heck, we, we, we prohibited Catholics in the past back then, so why not? Why don't we keep prohibiting others now? It's okay. I mean, look, they, they give the history pretty clear. In, in 1689, this is right from the case, Parliament enacted a status-based restriction forbidding Catholics who refused to take an oath, renouncing their faith from owning firearms, except as necessary for self-defense. Now, even then, they had the whiz. They couldn't stop them from defending themselves, even though they wanted to prohibit Catholics. Even Parliament in 1689, as much as they want to hate Catholics, didn't stop them from self-defense. But Mr. Range is barred from self-defense. You know, we ignore that part even. And even with this repugnancy flowing everywhere, the court's utilizing it to continue this ban. It is astonishing. It really is. But then again, it shows that there's no extreme that the court will not go to to somehow try to uphold unconstitutional laws, even if it means relying upon blatant racism, anti-religious, anti-black, anti-Native American history of repugnant nature without a doubt. But look, the end goal here, folks, limiting the Second Amendment and upholding the government's right to do that. Isn't that special? Hmm? Look, they cite Rev War right here, too. They talk about where they say, Revolutionary War ever furnishes others examples of legislatures disarming nonviolent individuals because their actions evinced an unwillingness to comply with legal norms of the nascent social compact. And a footnote 19, and what does the court say in footnote 19? Again, we cite the repugnant status-based regulation of an earlier period disarming individuals on the basis of political affiliation or non-affiliation merely to demonstrate that the nation's tradition of imposing categorical status-based bans on firearm possession. Again, imagine disarming based on your political beliefs as a tradition which they found and agree is absolutely repugnant. They will utilize today as a justification on the history of it. Insanity. Yet, the ultimate goal, it's always how they look at this. If the ultimate goal is achieved, which is upholding a law that any reasonable person would say that a non-violent person who has a, this non-violent conviction for a financial crime that was uh, something that uh, individuals that are, are uh, needy of 
welfare and they take advantage and they commit a wrongdoing and they pay the price. He did his probation. I'm sure he did his restitution as required, all that. All this time's gone by. Nothing dangerous about him, but no. He loses his constitutional right to keep and bear arms, which is equivalent to freedom of speech and freedom of religion. What if we said and passed a law that said non-violent felon, anyone convicted of a felony similar to this, no longer has freedom of speech? We good with that? Or no longer can practice the religion of their choice? We good with that? Because if you're not good with that, you shouldn't be good with this. Because they're the same rights, equivalent. And that's stated right by Justice Thomas. The Second Amendment is not a second-class right. And yet here it's still being treated as such and worse. They're utilizing precedent. Repugnant doesn't even begin to express it. Disgusting and revolting. And to even cite it and try to use it to achieve these ends is beyond belief, really. It just shows how much they hate us, how much they hate your right to keep and bear arms if they're willing to reduce themselves to that precedent as justification. And how does the court conclude? We've conducted a historical review required by Bruin and conclude that range by illicitly taking welfare money through fraudulent misrepresentation of his income has demonstrated a rejection of the interests of the state and of the community. He has committed an offense evincing disrespect for the rule of law as such his disarmament under 18 U.S.C. 922 G1 is consistent with the nation's history and tradition of firearm regulation. And that is the range case. And just think about that for a little bit as to where we are with the state of our laws and our judiciary and our constitutional right to keep and bear arms as to what we are facing in our battle for our rights. When we come back, I have an interesting letter that dovetails right into this. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. 
But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, back. Happy to be back telling you what's out there. Knocking down the myths and uh, presenting the truths. I mean, you're not going to see the uh, lamestream media uh, explaining the range case and its repugnant racist holdings to you. I don't think you're going to hear that anywhere else. But you need to know it because when you actually read this stuff, you just can't believe it. But there it is. So I want to thank all of you for being loyal listeners to Gun Lawyer and giving me a chance here to Spread the word and let people know about this because knowledge is the key and you just got to know what we're dealing with. And hence, I got a letter here that uh, from George. And George says, uh, regarding the Oregon downgrading the Second Amendment to a privilege, it would seem that Oregon has voted Measure 114 into law, which appears to downgrade the Second Amendment from a constitutionally guaranteed right into a privilege. Can one state simply vote one of the Bill of Rights away within that state's borders? How does the 10th Amendment address this, if at all, regards George? So George is asking about the Oregon vote, where by the slimmest of margin, they voted to have this new and incredibly intrusive gun laws, especially for Oregon, uh, be enacted mandating um, training and permits and a whole wish list of anti-gun things to further burden our Second Amendment rights. And I don't blame George for questioning it. And you see, the thing is, that was voted ever so slightly by the majority of people in Oregon. So there you have what we call the tyranny of the majority take place. And it in effect, uh, has slightly more for the winners that um, like to eviscerate and cut away their own rights, which again is another shocking thing. Let's put ourselves in chains. Let's take away our own rights. And, you know, who thinks that way? Well, apparently folks in Oregon do because they're so weaned on the anti-gun propaganda that they are willing to give away their rights. But does that still mean that the Second Amendment doesn't have any impact? Of course it does. And I'm sure that uh, this new law will be challenged, challenged under Bruin. But you see some of the hurdles that we're up against because we're dealing with courts that will stoop to any level, even relying upon repugnant racist laws, to uphold gun laws that exist. They're trying in every fashion to uh, figure out ways to somehow keep these anti-rights laws on the books. And this is uh, the battle that we face. But it doesn't mean we give up. And we are winning many different other cases where the right decisions are being made. 
And ultimately, these cases, I'm sure, will reach the Supreme Court of the United States again. I truly hope that the Range case makes it to the Supreme Court and that Justice Thomas gets to opine on the Third Circuit's repugnant citations and its reliance on what they know and even state are unconstitutional to uphold this type of prohibition. And um, there is no magic button that you push so that the challenges uh, aren't needed. The antis aren't giving up simply because we now have a new weapon, a new tool to fight for our rights, just the opposite. They're piling everything they can to still try and take it down, to still cause as much trouble and as much problem as they can for our Second Amendment rights, to still try to turn law-abiding citizens into criminals at every turn, to still make sure that you keep minorities and others down with every technique and tactic you can so they cannot have guns as well. It's an entire repression and an oppression being done by the left, and you see its effectiveness. So if they can get away with this in Oregon by having a referendum, if they can get a bunch of their folks who they get big dollars to to vote horrendous laws that need challenge and just essentially attempt to bury our great fighters out there fighting for our rights, challenging these cases at every level. This is their tactic. Wear us down, create and ignore what the Constitution really stands for. Keep trying to take away the people's guns, the people's rights, their ability to protect themselves, the ability to defend themselves, their ability to be independent, the ability to defend their families, all these things. I mean, you cannot not look around and see what's going on in our society. I mean, just open your eyes and you see what's going on. You feel safer now? Of course you don't. And yet even though you don't feel safer, what's their answer? Make you less safe. Take away your guns. Take away your ability and the means to defend yourself. Make it harder, not easier. You would think that if they were truly responsive to the public, if these anti-gun propagandists were not given the media mouthpiece that they have, people would not in any way want to limit their ability to exercise their rights and have these freedoms. But this is what you see. And of course, you wonder as well, I mean, we all wonder today about the legitimacy of our elections. Unfortunately, it's in question. It absolutely is in question. And you tell me if you're confident in our system of elections. You confident in our election system? Do you tell me you have confidence in it? Really? I'll tell you what, questions are out there. That's for sure. The questions are there. These are challenging times, but we cannot lose hope. We have to keep fighting. We have to never give up. It's that eternal vigilance thing, and it's for real. 
So this is what we do, and that's what gun lawyers are here for, too. It's part of the fight for our rights. It's part of the information factor. And I'm sure those of you who listened today had no idea about what I just told you, and you wouldn't have known if you weren't listening to this show. So I'm glad I had that opportunity to highlight this for you. And we'll be talking about many, many other things, as we always do. And this is the way we beat the suppression of information. And it means there's still hope that we can win because they haven't shut us all down yet. So that's the way to go. Keep the faith. And this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.